Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of Creator Science. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. I'm speaking to you from the past. I'm recording this on Sunday evening. It's kind of gotten into my flow that when I record these solo episodes, I do it on the Sunday before this episode airs. And it's kind of nice. It's nice. It's it's dark in my office as I'm reading this. It's very calm. It's very quiet. It's very cozy. Anyway, if you live in the United States, you know that this week is Thanksgiving. And historically, I don't actually release new episodes over the holidays. In fact, I just wrote in my newsletter this past weekend how I typically republish past episodes with a new introduction. At this point, I feel compelled to say if you don't already subscribe to the Creator Science newsletter, I really think you should take a minute and do so. I get more and more emails every week saying that people love reading it. So check it out. Go to creatorscience.com. I really think you'll enjoy it if you enjoy this show. Anyway, I don't normally record new episodes over holidays, but I've been thinking about this episode in particular, this end of year solo episode, and I figured I might as well do it this week. To give you a little bit of behind the scenes, the podcast is growing. It's very exciting. I've been following my analytics closely in Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and the show is growing month over month. So I've been re-energized to publish more episodes and really push the envelope on making each episode better and better, and I think this will be a really great, really helpful episode. This episode is all about looking forward to 2024. I know it sounds crazy to hear that number 2024, but it is right around the corner. And this is a fantastic time of year for you to take advantage of how much the world slows down so you can find some clarity, organize your thoughts, and really start the year at a full sprint. A lot of people coast through the next month, and there's nothing wrong with rest. In fact, I think you should absolutely give yourself some time and space to rest and recharge over the next month. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do some thinking, questioning, and planning. If you do that over the next month, you'll start the year at full speed while others start the year already feeling behind. So to help you get the wheels turning, in this episode, I'm going to share with you my overall goals, my team strategy, my content strategy, my product strategy, and my sponsor strategy for 2024. We'll dive in and get started right after this. As you start to reach more people, things start to feel more complex. There's more to do and more to keep track of, and it starts to actually take time away from creating content. I felt this struggle personally. The more creator science grew, the more it felt like I was dropping the ball. So I did something about it. I built a set of rock solid systems, all in Notion to support the business as we grew, and it worked like a charm. I've now taken my personal Notion setup and productized it. It's called Creator HQ, and it's the complete operating system that you need for your creator business. I built Creator HQ to be an all-in-one workspace designed to save you more time, create more content, and drive more revenue. By leveraging Creator HQ, we are publishing more than we ever have, and we're nearing $1 million in annual revenue because of it. It brings all of your data and processes into one place with custom-built dashboards to reduce friction in managing tasks, creating content, and collaborating with your team. I've seriously spent more than three years building this, and now you can have the same systems that I use right out of the box. In the lab, one of our members just posted, I have spent the last few weeks diving into Creator HQ, learning how it works, and making it my own. This is the first time in a while that I've felt this organized and filled with hope that I can find a workflow that will work for me with my whole business. This is gold. I will definitely be giving a testimonial for this badass product. If you're new to Notion, don't worry. I've included a ton of specific tutorials to help you learn how to use Notion generally and Creator HQ specifically. I've never seen another Notion product integrate tutorials like we have here. More than 300 other creators are already using Creator HQ, and I am not exaggerating when I say I would be lost without this system. Creator HQ is what keeps the trains running over here. 
As a podcast listener, I'm giving you my best price. You can get 10% off using the promo code podcast at checkout. Just head to creatorhq.co to watch the video and learn more. That's creatorhq.co and use promo code podcast to save 10%. Okay, welcome back. Let's dive in. My two big goals that I know are carrying into 2024, and there might be more by the time we actually reach the beginning of the year, but the two big goals that are on my mind right now, number one, increase revenue. Number two, increase mind share. I'm going to talk about each of those things, starting with revenue. Yes, we want to increase revenue. That probably feels obvious. It's probably something that you want to do as well. Most people would say that they want to increase revenue, but most people don't seem to know why they want to increase revenue other than because that feels like what they should do. It feels like growth. Growth is good. Growth is the goal for everything. I don't think that's a great reason to increase revenue. I don't think you should just feel like, well, numbers need to go up all the time. It feels nice for numbers to go up, but there's a couple of key reasons why I am really focused on revenue coming into the next year. Namely, increasing revenue increases optionality in what we say yes to. I'm saying we kind of a royal we right now, but there is a team behind me at this point. The team is growing, which I'll talk about here in a second. We really want to increase optionality in what we say yes to. Things like partners, sponsors, projects. When your needs are covered by revenue that is directly in your control, what I would call direct revenue, relationships, transactions between you and your audience, me and you, when your financial needs are covered by direct revenue, you have a lot more optionality in turning down other projects that don't necessarily excite you, but you know bring in money. A good example of this might be sponsorships or partnerships or brand deals. When you have a platform, when you have an audience of people that brands want to reach, it becomes easy to monetize your platform on behalf of brands. And that revenue can be really nice. That might be something that's hard to say no to or to let go. And then suddenly you normalize the revenue that's coming in on a monthly basis, not thinking about how much of that might be third-party revenue that isn't exactly what you want. But when you want to make a change, suddenly you're faced with a near-term drop in revenue. If you were partnering with brands that you didn't necessarily align with or love, and you're like, you know, I kind of want to pause on sponsorship. But if that was a significant part of your revenue, that's hard to do. So we want to increase revenue from direct revenue sources so that we have more optionality to say no to things and change the way we approach things, especially with third parties, to give us more optionality. If that seems a little unclear or vague, don't worry. I'm going to dive into this deeper as we go through the episode here, just sharing my overall goals to start. So that's one of the reasons that I'm trying to increase optionality. But the other thing is I want to be able to invest more in the business. This is something that I think makes me different as a creator than a lot of my peers. I have lower margins than a lot of my peers because I am actively investing in people, in projects, in things that I think will pay off in terms of long-term growth. And a lot of creators kind of treat their business like a bank account where it's, well, I'm going to have the bare minimum of expenses and whatever I have left from my revenue is kind of going to go into my pocket. But I, I pay myself a salary And so a lot of revenue stays in the business and I do special projects with that things like branding projects or design projects, or that's what the YouTube channel came out of. I've invested a lot more in the YouTube channel than it has earned back yet. And I can do that 
because I'm willing to invest in projects for a number of years, knowing that long-term, if I believe in them, they're going to turn a profit. So there are lots of projects that are on my mind, more and more projects all the time that I want to invest in. That usually means investing in people and that can be kind of expensive. So increasing revenue gives me the opportunity to invest more. So that was goal number one, increase revenue and why we want to do that. Big goal number two is increasing mind share. And what that means is I want creator science to be the first brand, the first idea to mind when it comes to the best educational content for creators. I literally think about the conversations that people have that I want creator science to come up with in conversation. When I see someone saying, what are the best newsletters for creators? I want creator science to be tagged first. When people say, what are the best YouTube channels for creators? When people say, what are the best podcasts for creators? I want creator science to be the first name to mind. So what we're trying to grow is the space in people's minds that when they hear the word creators, they think of creator science. And this is one of the go-to places for educational content for creators. I think we're definitely in the mix of that conversation right now. I would say we're definitely in a, a top five position. <laughs> you know, there's some other big players, Colin and Samir come to mind and we're in the mix. We're in the conversation. We're seeing natural word of mouth and natural growth in that way. I want to continue to push the envelope there and grow it. That is that association is really what helps businesses grow when there is an idea, a concept, an audience that you want to be closely associated with and you want to be the first to mind because there are outsized rewards to being the number one. That's what I'm trying to do next year. And that's why investment is important. You can great, you can gain mind share by investing in the business, investing in ways that you get in front of more people more quickly, investing in making better content so that people can't help but talk about it. That's what I'm trying to do. We're trying to increase revenue. We're trying to increase mind share. Let's move on to team strategy for 2024. This is really exciting. I shared this on social media last week. Maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, but I am making my first full-time hire in the next, uh, I guess, month or so on the team, and it is my wife. <laughs> Technically, I'm the first full-time hire. I'm on W-2 already. I'm full-time. She'll be on W-2. She will be full-time. She's going to be really my my right hand she's going to be a full partner in the business she's uh i'm thinking of her as my my general manager my coo she's really going to oversee operations she has an incredible skill set in terms of uh design i watch her interact with canva and, and i'm incredibly jealous the way she can do things in canva is just fantastic i can't wait to bring her on board and weaponize that skill set for us um, she's also currently in a community management role with um, uh, a community of financial advisors. She's been doing it for a few years now, and she's so good at it. She's beloved by that community. So she has all of the all of the skills, all of the complementary uh, skill sets that I would love to bring into the team. And it's in her, and she's my wife, and I trust her implicitly. So I just can't wait to see what we can do by joining forces full time and doing this. Um, it's scary because there's a lot of operational things that I'm doing right now that I'm obviously going to have to hand off to her. But when it comes to delegating, one of my biggest issues is trust and control. And if there's anyone on this planet that I trust to take control, it's her. So this is very, very exciting. Um, I think it's going to have 
a good impact on our our marriage, our relationship. I think integrating our lives will just be fantastic. I see the way she cares about people. I see the way that she helps people succeed and overcome challenges. It's going to have a huge impact on the business, on the people we serve. It's just going to be awesome. There are already uh, people that I consider and see as members of my team. We have Connor, who runs the YouTube channel, essentially. I hired him as a video editor. He has really stepped into like a full producer role on the channel. He does so much there. He's incredible. He's working pseudo full-time on it. We have Jonathan, who is our thumbnail designer. Uh, We have Nathan, who does our audio engineering, but uh, Nathan's actually moving out of his role. He's giving up freelance. He has a full-time job that uh, he loves and covers his needs, and he's just dropping freelance. So we are bringing on a new podcast editor, and we have Izzy, my virtual assistant. She's fantastic as well. So we have a pretty solid team here working behind me, but there are other things that I want to hire for, or I'm at least considering hiring for in the coming year. First and foremost, uh, whoever I hire to replace Nathan, I'm hoping to grow them out of just an uh, engineering role, an audio engineering role, and actually into a producer role on the podcast. I'm doing a fair amount of editing on the podcast right now. The non-video episodes, I do a fair amount of editing on, which really isn't where I should be spending my time. And if it wasn't on me to do that editing, then we would get ahead of schedule and things would be a little bit less stressful. So um, I don't know if that'll be hiring a producer out of the box. I actually have someone that's going to be doing a trial and starting with us here shortly. Um, and he might grow into that producer role. We've already spoke. He's interested in it. So whether it's him or another producer, a podcast producer is on my short list of uh, roles that I'm looking at hiring for in 2024. Then I have these three potential roles that I'm not sure if I'm going to hire anyone into them, but they're of interest to me. The first is what I would call a short form specialist. Connor does incredible work on the YouTube channel. He could do short form if he wanted to, but we really want to focus his time and energy on our long form videos. I think there's space for hiring a short form specialist that just really goes above and beyond and wants to really make this like their thing for a while to prove they could do this and uh, really kind of treats me like talent in a way. You know, they're ideating on some of the short form video. They really, really have a grasp of reels and TikTok and they can help push me in the direction of breaking through on those short form mediums and that they can do the editing as well. That's something that's on my mind. Um, I know there are a lot of people who are offering this. I get pitched this type of thing all the time, but the pitches are bad. I, I rarely get a pitch that's not boilerplate, not obviously a spray and pray sort of situation. I really want to see somebody going above and beyond to prove that this is something they want to do and they're adept at doing because I think there's a lot of space we could grow on Instagram predominantly, also TikTok, and those same videos do pretty well on LinkedIn right now. So I'm looking for a short form specialist potentially to help us really grow on on social media in that way. Another potential position is what I'm thinking of as AI specialist. I've been playing around with some AI stuff. My guiding principle with AI, as you've maybe heard me say before, is when I think about what will I utilize AI for, I want to feel comfortable sharing how I'm using it in complete transparency. So the rule is, 
if my audience knew I produce this with AI, would they think less of me or be less interested in my work? If the answer is yes, then I don't do it. So I'm not saying I want an AI specialist to help me write what goes on Twitter or write my essays. I really want to continue my input being creative, thoughtful stuff. But I am interested in having someone who really understands what's possible right now, show me what's possible, push the boundaries, decide what fits for me. And it's not me researching and ideating. It's someone saying, I understand the space. I'm going to apply what I know about you and your work to this and give you some options of how this might make sense in your workflow, in your business, in ways that feel in alignment with your integrity and your interests. Let's see what's possible. Again, this is something that I'm going to be really picky on. I I need someone to go above and beyond to show me that they can do this and do this really well and be really unique. The thing is, with a business my size being kind of small, um, I can't push others. I need people to care so much that I can be pretty hands off until they ask me for help or want things, but I can't direct and give you the direction. I can give you feedback. I can give you input. I can give you, you know, my priorities and what I care about and what's in alignment with me, but I can't be driving these projects. So if somebody is interested in this, you're hearing AI specialist, that sounds like me. Cool. Show me what you can do. Make me believe that this is something that you can do and that you can really get in the driver's seat and not depend on me pushing things forward. And the last team position that I'm considering is what I would call development partner. I have an idea for a SaaS platform that I think can be really, really good. I'm interested in building that alongside somebody who's great, not only as a developer, but also has strong taste from a UX perspective. Um, I've met some great developers. I know they could build what I'm looking for, but the user experience, the interface is just as important to me. And if that's not a skill set that the developer also has the engineer of this, then now there's two people that I'm hiring and it becomes much more complicated. So I'm looking for a great partner who is strong in development and some front end UX design to potentially pilot this SaaS product. And I don't think the need for it's going to go away anytime soon. So I'm not in any rush. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if this will kick in in 2024 or not, but those are the positions that I'm thinking about. Obviously I'm hiring my wife full time. I'm hiring a new audio engineer who I hope becomes a podcast producer. But those three speculative roles that I'm considering, in case they're interesting to you as well, I'm thinking of them as a short-form specialist, short-form video in particular, an AI specialist to help show me what's possible and think about where it might fit in my business in alignment with uh, how I think about AI. And third, development partner, somebody who might help me develop a SaaS product. Wow, I really didn't know if I would have a full episode worth of plans to share with you here, but we are maybe a third through this and uh, we're already at about 17 minutes. So maybe I'll go a little bit faster, try to get through some of this stuff moving forward, but hopefully you're enjoying this this planning exercise that I'm going through. Next, I want to talk about audience strategy. Uh, I also would call this content strategy. I was thinking I might have separate categories here, one of audience growth, one of content strategy, but they're really hand in hand. Audience growth for me predominantly comes from my content strategy. Yes, there is, of course, paid advertisement that I could do for audience growth. There is, of course, collaborations, partnerships, earned media. There's a lot of other things that might go into audience growth. But 
for the purposes of this episode, I really want to talk about my content strategy, which is at the core, the heart of my audience growth strategy. So for a while, I was getting a little bit down on the podcast. Podcasts are the hardest platform to grow. It's It's been a little bit of a challenge over the last year or so. But as I share at the beginning of this episode, over the last several months, we've seen some pretty significant month-over-month growth uh, in Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which shows me that people are tuning in, people like it. I'm also seeing more people talk about it on social media. So that's been really, really exciting. Thank you if you have shared about it on social media. If you haven't, consider talking about it when you have an episode that you like. But as a result, something I've seen as a trend is the episodes that I have that are Solo episodes, things like this, seem to do really well. More people seem to click play on episodes like this. The retention has been really, really high on episodes like this. So next year, I'm going to be sprinkling in a lot more solo episodes in between the interviews that I do. People seem to like them. I have a lot of fun doing it. Of course, if I'm off base, <laughs> you aren't enjoying this, let me know. But you're listening to this. So seems to suggest that I might be on to something. And you know, as much as I love talking with other people, there is a lot that I'm doing that I think can be helpful. You know, inside the lab, I am doing office hours and hot seats and sharing a lot behind closed doors that people, members tell me they get a lot of value out of. I want to bring more of that to the public through the podcast. But as I've also shared before, podcasting is not a audience growth strategy, to be honest. This is a relationship platform It's a distribution system that you own, but it is not how you attract new audience. This is really where you deepen relationships with people who have already found and enjoy your work elsewhere. So for the purposes of audience growth, I am doubling down on YouTube in the coming year. We hit 20,000 subscribers about a month ago on the YouTube channel because we had this video with Jenny Hoyos go super viral. It's at like one and a half million views right now. This past weekend, we just crossed 50,000 subscribers over on YouTube. So the audience growth rate there is pretty crazy. It's it's growing a lot. And I'm taking advantage of the community tab on YouTube as well. And the engagement there is just really, really great. So we are going to put more and more time and effort into making great videos on YouTube because we just see a big, big return there. And as people find me through YouTube, they do find their way to the podcast, to email, to social media, it's not as clear and effective as I want yet, which is something I want to talk about here in a second, but YouTube does have the effect of growing the overall creator science platform. So that's something I'm really focused on is improving the pathway from YouTube to email and even YouTube to the podcast and even the podcast to email. <laughs> like I, I have a real multi-platform approach here. I feel like we're doing really high quality work in email, in podcasting, in YouTube. And I want people to experience all of those platforms if they consume those platforms. What we don't really have yet is this clear pipeline or this clear user experience that moves people to those different platforms. With that huge outcome of Jenny's video on YouTube, uh, 1.5 million views, Yeah, we saw a bump in in podcast downloads. We saw a bump in email subscribers, but not to the degree that I would have hoped. And I don't think that's a sign that, oh, well, YouTube growth doesn't lead to growth elsewhere. I think it's a sign that I hadn't really thought through what that 
customer journey or that audience journey looks like to move people in that direction. That's something I really want to figure out next year is how to better connect these different disparate platforms so that people can find and enjoy all of them. Continuing along the content strategy here, I'm actually thinking less and less about short form personally. This is another reason why considering hiring a short form specialist is personally, I'm putting less time and thought towards it because I see my work, you know, capital W work as my long form, my long form writing, my podcast like this, the YouTube videos that we do. And I'll use that, uh, that long form content as what kind of creates short form ideas for X, for LinkedIn, for Instagram, for threads. A lot of people build entire businesses off of making bespoke, unique content for short form, then moving that into long form and yada, yada. But increasingly, I really feel like what I care about is building an enduring body of work. And I do that through my long form writing. So more and more, I'm thinking about long form and less about short form. And what I'm seeing on short form is that platforms like X, the things that perform the best for me, it's not when I'm doing like this in-depth teaching. It's not about creating these long posts, these threads where I'm teaching you how to do a specific thing. Really what's performing well for me right now is sharing personal stories. And these personal stories are more compelling when they're about the interesting long form work that I'm doing. You know, I, we make a great video, we publish the video, we see results and sharing the results of that video, sharing what we've learned about YouTube because of that video, that's doing well rather than, you know, these, these long threads that I used to do of like, here's what I would do if I was starting over today. Those are probably, they, they would probably do fine, but those also take time and they're kind of gone after you publish them. So more and more, I think about short form platforms as a journal documenting my experience creating long form work. Last thing I'll say along the content front here, I really want to lean more into experiments as part of my content in the new year. This is something we share in the lab right now when we ideate, come up with, run experiments. We share the results there in the lab. I do it. Other members do it. But I really want to get more diligent about documenting the experiments that I'm running because I'm running tons of concurrent experiments all the time, but I'm not rigorous enough in documenting them in real time. Like I really should start each experiment with a hypothesis. I should write out my process for how I'm doing it. I should document the experience and then uh, the results and share the results. And then I can craft an entire narrative about that experiment and share with you how that went. It's so aligned with the creator science brand. It makes my work more unique and valuable over time. That's really something that I need to do more of in the newsletter, in the podcast, on YouTube. So that's a big priority in the coming year is making my content much more experiment and results based. Um, so look out for that. And if you like that idea, I'd love to hear from you to make sure that I'm on the right track. All right. After a quick break for our sponsors, I will dive into my product strategy for the coming year and then our sponsor strategy as well. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. 
They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link j. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash j and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot slash creator. Welcome back. We've talked about my team strategy, my content strategy for the coming year. Now let's talk about my product strategy, or maybe you want to think about it as my monetization strategy. I really focus on what I call direct revenue rather than indirect revenue. That is the transactions between me and my audience are just between the two of us. There's no third party involved. That's the way I like my revenue generating activities generally, because it's, it's a little bit more pure. Our Interests are really, really aligned. And yes, there's a great argument to be made that with a great partner, it's a win-win-win. All interests are aligned, all incentives are aligned. And I agree with that. You can absolutely find those things. But it's easier when you have two parties rather than three parties. And direct revenue, I think, is also a little bit more resilient to macroeconomic changes or even in the micro. You may have a great relationship with a partner. Things may be great and they may decide they just don't want to do it anymore. So I think your business is more resilient when you have products and services that you offer to your audience directly. And that's what I'm really continuing to focus on in 2024. So for a quick recap, about 70% of my revenue is from memberships through the lab. And then I think 13 to 15% is through sponsorships. Then I have small percentages broken down between affiliates, digital products, services, and royalties. So moving into the new year, I want to diversify 
my revenue a little bit. So it's not so heavy on the lab. It's great. I'm not trying to reduce the amount of revenue that's coming in through the lab. I just want to increase revenue that's coming through outside of the lab. And you may be thinking, well, Jay, why don't you just raise the revenue that's coming in through the lab? Why don't you sell more spots? There's a 200 person cap on the lab. And so it's not really practical to do that. Of course, I could raise the cap and and make a good reason for doing so and make the experience great and probably be fine. But I really want to stick to my word and keep that cap there until there's really a reason why it should be higher. That's not Jay selfishly wants more revenue. So that cap is going to remain in place. I want to diversify my revenue outside of that. And I want it to be through direct means. I thought that would be through more traditional digital products. Like I thought by the end of this year, I would be driving more and more revenue from courses. And that would become the predominant base of revenue for the business. But I've kind of changed my tune on that moving forward. Um, the courses that I have, they're very goal specific. Build a Beloved Membership is probably the best course I've ever made. No, definitely the best course I've ever made. And it's teaching people how to build a membership community. Then I have Podcast Like the Pros, which is an incredible podcasting course. I'm very proud of that as well. But those courses are not applicable to the majority of my audience. The majority of my audience doesn't want to make a membership community. The majority of my audience doesn't want to do a podcast. So those courses don't do a lot in the way of revenue and won't do a lot in the way of revenue because they're not applicable to the majority of people who come in the door. It wouldn't make sense for me to pitch those courses to everybody that came through. So I was thinking for a long time, well, what is the digital product that I could create that is more applicable to my entire audience? And I was thinking about it through the lens of a course. But I did this fantastic exercise facilitated by Becky Pearson Davidson. Uh, you can find her on Instagram, build with Becky. It's actually build W Becky. And we did that as a sprint in the lab. What I realized was there are a lot of problems that I can help creators with along their, their journey. If I think about my customer journey, creators can start from the point of, I just realized content creation is a thing and I want to do it all the way up through. I have scaled an organization, right? In the lab, really is for creators who are doing this professionally. There's a huge chunk of the customer journey that goes from, I just realized content creation was a thing to I am now a professional creator. I'm not serving that audience very well. And there are a lot of problems that come up in that customer journey. So if I wanted to serve that audience and I wanted to do it through courses, there was like a dozen different courses that I would want to make to help people at different points in that journey. It just became too much. When you have that many products, it becomes challenging to even market and sell your own products. You don't know what product to talk about when. You really have to segment your audience incredibly well. It's just challenging. And I admire creators and businesses that are much more simple. They have one, maybe two products. And so I started changing the way I was thinking about my revenue strategy because of this. The conclusion that I've come to is that I am going to double down on memberships. In my ideal world, next year, I am selling two products. The first would be the lab, which already exists and will largely remain the same. It will get better. The second product would be what I'm calling creator school. I'll talk about that here more in a second, but I'm going to start with the lab because the lab is the greatest product that I have ever made. It's the most successful product. I am more proud of that product than anything else. Retention in the lab is very, very high. 
Um, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely over 80%, but I think it's close to 90 or maybe even a little bit above. People love it. People stick around. And it's my biggest priority to not only keep the lab great, but to make it better. I want to make it better and better and better. That's priority number one. But there is a slight problem with the lab, and that's that it's not creating a great experience for people who are not in it. Um, because retention is high, the wait list gets longer and longer every week, every month. And just from a numbers perspective, most people will not get off the wait list. As the business grows, there is more interest in the lab than I'm able to accommodate with a 200 member cap. Then it will only become more the case with a larger audience. There'll be more people who are interested in the lab. There's not going to be more people leaving, at least not in huge numbers. So the wait list will keep growing. And then people are just sitting there feeling like they can't get in and it's not great for them. And since I'm planning to retain the 200 member cap, some things have to change. One thing I've realized is that uh, a significant percentage of the people who join the waitlist for the lab actually aren't ready for it. They're not a good fit yet. They are ambitious. They can get there. They're just not there yet. And I'm not giving them any feedback that they're not ready. And previously, what I would do when spots opened up was I'd send an email to the basic members first, then the waitlist and say, hey, we have two spots available or three spots available. First come, first serve. And so some people who were on the wait list who might not yet be ready for it, but were ambitious and enthusiastic, they could join the lab and they just weren't quite the fit yet, potentially. So here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm moving away from a wait list, quote unquote, for the lab, and I'm actually going to move to an application basis. And the application is there to ensure that somebody is, in fact, a professional creator. And this is the place they should be, because in the lab, it's less educational content based and more uh, experiments and responding to specific issues you're facing based. And that community thrives when those questions are nuanced, they're specific, they're contextual, and they're not questions that have already been answered online elsewhere. Something else I've been thinking about a lot is how much I admire the business model of what Sam Parr is doing at Hampton these small group forums that he enables with Hampton, or maybe you've heard about in YPO or YEC. I think there's a really good opportunity for that in the creator space. And I think I'm really well positioned to do it. And I think I could start with the lab to do so. The unlock for me that I learned from Sam is that, you know, we tried mastermind groups in the lab before actually. And I thought we put pretty good groups together, but what inevitably happens when you depend on the members to steer and facilitate those groups themselves, they're busy people. They have other priorities, they're pressing priorities. And so things often fall apart. The unlock is hiring facilitators as the organization, as the community to help make those groups thrive. And so I'm looking at the future of the lab and I'm thinking about how do I not only enable and create, but facilitate small group interactions for members of the lab. Again, this really requires those people are at a similar stage of business for it to be valuable to everybody. But it also opens up some really interesting additional benefits that maybe I'll hold uh, behind the vest a little bit right now. But um, one thing that it brings to mind is in-person experiences. It unlocks in-person experiences for the small groups and then in-person experiences for the lab as a whole. So I'm thinking about that. Those are some of the improvements that I want to make in the lab in the coming year. 
um, but it's going to take some change. So it's really, really important that the people who get into the lab are professional creators who are at the same stage of the journey, because otherwise, the folks who came to the lab, because they are professional creators and they're trying to get nuanced, deeper, higher level questions answered or have those conversations, they start to feel like that space isn't for them. They start to feel like that space might be for beginners. So the application is to let people know, hey, you're a good fit. You are now on the wait list. Or, hey, thanks for applying. You're not yet a fit for this. There is some progress to be made. That ensures that the quality and the purpose of the lab stays intact. It'll be harder to be get it'll be harder to get in, but that will ensure that we are pursuing our mission. This is scary. This is scary because I know if you're listening to this and you're in the lab, you're currently saying, gosh, is that me? Is he talking about me? And the answer is probably no. There, there is a very small number of folks in the lab who I feel like might be too early in their journey for it to really be helpful to them. But, you know, moving forward, how, how do we proceed? The application is going to be based on some objective measures that determine that you have traction and product market fit. It's not going to probably be based around some arbitrary revenue number or something like that. It's really going to be looking at has this person achieved product market fit? Are they growing? Do they have an audience that cares about this thing? If not, then creator school is the best place for them because that's going to be all about education and figuring out how do I get product market fit? How do I get myself on the track to be a professional creator? So a little bit more about creator school, if this is piquing your interest. The reality is most of the people who consume my content, who listen to this podcast or read the newsletter or watch on YouTube, they are not yet professional creators. I have the data to support this. I, I have seen that it's a minority of folks who are in the professional creator category. So how do I help the majority of my audience? Again, I don't think it's one-off courses. I think if I went that route, I would be creating and selling way too many of these courses because I would want a course that addresses specific pain points along the journey. I really want to go the full route with somebody, the full journey with somebody to say, even if you're just getting started, I want to walk alongside you all the way to the point where you are making a living as a professional creator, and then you might be a candidate for the lab and we'll continue that journey together. That's a long journey. There are a lot of problems that come up on that journey. So even though courses teach specific skills, I really want to create an experience that takes you by the hand and walks alongside you and teaches you a lot of specific skills, but maybe not in the form of these one-off produced courses. Most products focus on a promise like, I'll help you make your first dollar online, which I think is actually pretty easy to achieve. I don't think it's hard to make a dollar online. You can go on Fiverr and sell two hours of your time for $5, and wow, you just made your first dollar. The challenge is actually that Making a dollar in a way that also lends itself to making $100, then $1,000, then $10,000, even $100,000. Whatever you're doing to make that first dollar, is that something that's sustainable to make a real full-time living and grow a differentiated business? So that's what I want to do with Creator School. It doesn't just help you make money online. It helps you build a differentiated platform that is positioned for growth as a creator. It's not about making a quick buck. It's about creating a long-term business that gets stronger every year. 
And so this isn't going to be a quote unquote course with a static set of videos. This is a growing library of in the weeds and over my shoulder tutorials that take you step by step through the competitive world of becoming a creator. Yes, this will be organized linearly. You could theoretically think about this as an always growing massive course, but I prefer to think of it as a growing library of very relevant in the weeds over my shoulder tutorials. By achieving that, by creating these two products, I basically have one product that teaches people how to become professional creators and then a second product that helps professional creators connect and learn from each other. And I think that's a fantastic product strategy to serve this large, long customer journey. I will privately open the doors to Creator School in the, in the next two months, and I'll be sharing it with the newsletter subscribers first. So again, if you don't subscribe to the newsletter, go to creatorscience.com. You will get my newsletter. You'll start to see little clues about how you can get involved in Creator School as soon as it is available. And in case you're wondering, members of the lab will have full access to Creator School as part of their membership as well. So the lab, if you are a fit, if you do pass the application and you are able to get in, that is the only thing you'll ever need to buy from me. That is the, the ticket to everything that I make. Last quick point on the product strategy. The book is happening. I, I say that with 90 plus percent certainty. Uh, I have a partner that I'm working with. It will be much closer to self-publishing than traditional publishing, which I'll probably talk about in a future episode, but I'm very excited about this. I've already gotten started on the manuscript, and I think it's going to be a very unique book in a lot of different ways, but this is still early, so that's as much of a tease as I'm going to give right now. After one last quick break for our sponsors, I will talk about my sponsor strategy moving into 2024 and then wrap everything up here. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters, featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several podcast movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a creator science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com slash science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. Welcome back. Let's talk about sponsor strategy for 2024. The big thing that I want to lead with is that I'm going to be taking the lead on sponsorships moving into next year. What does that mean? Well, I want to create really fantastic sponsor experiences, not only in creating a good return on the spend that sponsors have with me, but even just the experience of working with me, 
I want to be awesome. And right now, unfortunately, I don't think that experience is great, largely because of the structure that I have put in place. This is 100% my fault. And if you really want to go deep on this, check out the video I did on YouTube with Justin Moore recently. It's not on my channel. It's on Justin's Creator Wizard channel. We did a public coaching call where he helped me talk about my sponsor strategy. And what we realized was, historically, I've worked with partners on a revenue share basis. So they bring sponsors to the table and they get a cut of that revenue and they do a lot of the operations on my behalf, which is awesome in theory. And honestly, it was awesome in practice as well in a lot of ways. Like there are a lot of partnerships I've done on this podcast and my newsletter that were operationally easier and there were relationships that I didn't personally have. So those partners bring a lot to the table. The challenge is as my business has grown, more and more of the partnerships that I run and want to do are coming directly to me. And so in a world where I have a newsletter partner and a podcast partner, if that sponsor wants to work with both of those platforms, I've actually had to send two separate introductory emails, two different invoices. It's not been a great experience for the sponsor. And I really, really want to improve that. So we are going to take lead on sponsorships. We are going to be the ones interfacing with the majority of these partners. And we're going to put together larger, customized, bespoke packages for these sponsors as well. Again, there's way more to this that I get into with Justin on his channel. So I really recommend you dig into that because that's a full like 45 minutes on sponsor strategy specifically. Um, But we're going to take lead on that because I admire folks like Tim Ferriss who not only have sponsored products that they share, but they fully, fully, fully endorse them as well. I love that. Um, But when you're working with partners, a lot of times the incentive structure is to sell as many ad units as possible. And so you get a little less picky about the sponsors. I want to get more picky and creating more resilience in the business from a direct revenue perspective really gives me the opportunity to do this. You know, if I were to just completely break my sponsor strategy right now and not take on sponsors, that would be a significant revenue hit month over month. So I'm moving into it carefully, but uh, I am getting more and more optionality to kind of break things, move slower, work with sponsors on a larger, more long-term basis across platforms, and really be choosy about those sponsors and pick folks who have products and services that I use that I recommend that I can fully, fully endorse and feel good doing so. I can count on one hand the number of sponsors that have been on this show or elsewhere that I had a second thought about. So it's not like I'm not recommending brands that I use and love right now, but I really want to get just really, really picky about it. The other reason for this is, especially in a world where creator school is up and running and finished, I think it will be as advantageous for me to take time to talk about creator school as it will be to talk about a third-party brand. Uh, Obviously, the margins are high. I get more data on that. But I think it's also just going to be more likely that that product is useful to the person hearing it than whatever the other product is because I'm designing it to be useful for my audience. So that's what we're thinking. At first, I thought that meant completely releasing my ad partners and taking everything in-house. But what I've come to realize is that the bigger move is to move from exclusive relationships to non-exclusive relationships. And what I mean by that is 
exclusive relationships are having ad partners that say all ads on this property are run through this partner. So even if the advertiser came to me, if I had an exclusive relationship with an ad partner, I would have to introduce that sponsor to the partner and then give up a percentage of revenue. What I'm going to move to is non-exclusive relationships where if I bring in the sponsor, I'm going to keep 100% of that and I'm going to manage the process as well. And you, ad partner, if you do bring a brand to the table, then you can get a cut of that. That's what I'm moving towards. I think it's a best of both worlds situation, but we'll see. We'll see how things go. All right, I think that just about covers it. That's, that's you know, a high level 30,000 foot view of my priorities for 2024. I hope this got you thinking about things as well. A lot of these changes are structural. There'll be growing pains in expanding the team and creating new processes and building new products. It's scary. It's scary to kind of break things that are working in order to build things that are better. But I want to leave you with this, uh, this idea that actually I learned from Todd Henry on the show. Todd Henry was a guest on this podcast a uh, long time ago. You can search Todd Henry Creator Science and find it. But he, he gave me this anecdote, this metaphor of a grapevine. He said, grapevines, they have the capacity to grow 200 to 300 buds on them, but that's actually not something that they could sustain. So what happens is grapevines are proactively pruned. They prune off the weaker buds, the buds that don't seem capable of growing good fruit so that all the resources of the plant are concentrated on the strongest, best buds where they get the best yield from the grapevine. By allowing the entire grapevine to grow, they actually dilute the yield and the quality of the grapes. And I think our work as creators is a lot like that. I think there's all kinds of things that we are possible or we are, we are able, capable to do. All things are possible, but we can't do all things. And so whatever the fruit is that you really want to grow and improve and make strong, you might need to proactively prune other parts of the business. And that's what this is a good time of year to really think about. Where can I prune my business grapevine to get the best yield in the coming year. That's what you should be thinking about right now. And for me, that's evaluating how things are done. It's being willing to rip the band-aid on things that aren't working. One of my weaknesses historically is that I wait too long to have difficult conversations or dive into something that seems scary, but you can't do that. When you identify that something needs to be done, something needs to be changed, the sooner you take steps to make those changes, the better off you will be. So I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. I'd love to hear if you like this format, if you like the solo episodes, if you enjoyed this, you can tweet at me or tag me on Instagram at jklaus. That would be awesome. And lastly, I have a quick ask. I would love to break 400 ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Right now, we're sitting at 387 as I read this, so we're so close. I need 13 people to leave a nice rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help get us to 400. It would make my day. It would make my Thanksgiving. I read every one of these reviews. It means a whole, whole lot to me. So please, if you enjoyed the show, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.